three people that were excited about this. Listen, we're in the middle of a giving series, a series on money. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. I'm going to give you a Yes, let's go, let's go, let's go. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, every time you say that, about jump. Okay, so here is the great statements that I think uh, really um, are every week. You've got to come with your pen with Nate, more than most preachers, because you've got to get these phrases. If you grab one every week, it'll help you through the whole week. I guarantee you this. Here's the issue uh, or, or a summary of where we've been the last few weeks. The idea was to put wherever you put your treasure is, is where your heart's going to be. So he gave you four, I, I, I'm recapping with four of his uh, sayings, and I think <clears throat> that these uh, will be the kind that just stick with you. So put your money where you want your heart to be. Good. Put your money where you want your heart to be. Now, listen, those of you guys who hear Nate a lot, you know this. This guy has like, I don't know, a sixth sense for the ability to con- take truth and put it into little phrases. Am I right? You know, most preachers, you don't have a preacher, you don't appreciate this. Most preachers, we work on trying to come up with this stuff. Right, John? We sit and think and think about how to make it simple, how to make it clear. This guy just spits me. I tell him, you give us too many, though. I can't remember them all. Here's a couple more here. How about this one? This is maybe my favorite of the thing. Um, money is a bad master, but God is a great savior. It's good, huh? Money is a bad master, but God is a great savior. How about uh, this one? Use temporary things to make an eternal investment. Money. One thing I can tell you about money, it's temporary. It just goes away so darn fast. What happened to all of it? It's frightening if you ever total up how much you've made, even wherever you're at over the last couple of years. You're always, almost everybody says, what the heck happened? So we're taking temporary things, making an eternal investment. Very cool. Now, what I'm going to do is complete our series on giving around this idea that actually, supernaturally, God brings joy to human beings who give away their money. Strange. Nobody told you that when you were studying economics. Nobody told you that when you were first learning how to balance or figure out your bills. Nobody told you that when you're budgeting. Nobody said that the uh, uh, real joy will come when you give what you've worked hard for away to others. So strange. So strange. So here's my attempt at, at a Nate statement. And I think we'll all agree mine is better than Nate's. Okay, so let's remember. Here we go. Budgeting is boring, but giving is glorious. What do you think, huh? It's good. All right, I'll tell him I'm taking over Instagram this week. <laughs> Budging is boring, and it is, isn't it? It's awful. But giving is glorious. Praise the Lord. Giving is glorious because we have this great God. Now, look, we've been talking about this because we're trying to learn how to be generous people. We want to have a generous life. We want to uh, have this uh, vigilance and intentionality about our giving. Uh, we want to live this way because we've been given so much by our great Savior. Um, I'm happy. Over these next two years, we're moving into a focused giving season as a church. It's an opportunity for us to get really practical about all this money conversation and really trying to put it together as we do as a team, as a group. That's the idea of the church giving together as opposed to each of us giving individually. We participate in God's great blessing together. Now, we have gotten this far through prayer as a church. Every Thursday, we pray. 
Uh, every Thursday we pray. This is very unusual in churches. They have a prayer meeting every single week where we seek God's face. We uh, have uh, uh, all day prayer three times a year. We have a commitment to pray at the start of every year. Why do we do all that? So that God will lead us to where we are today. Prayer will get us here and prayer will get us through these exciting next two years. Now, when we, uh, this week, we're going to send out to all of you a commitment card, a, a chance for you next week to come in here, pray over it, and know what you can commit. It's a two-year commitment, and here's what we're asking. We're asking that God would give you wisdom on what would be your normal two-year commitment, and then on top of that, what is it extra that God would give you so that we could complete this great work that we believe God has given us as a church to do. And so you'll get that this week, and I really want you to take the time to listen today and to bring uh, uh, see whether or not you can change the view you have of giving into this generous, glorious idea that it is. Because, remember this, most of the scriptures, even Jesus, when he said why he came, why did he come? To make life more abundant. Strange. Didn't tell me that in Sunday school when I was getting yelled at all the time for not sitting still. I didn't hear that part when they were screaming to me about uh, all the things I did wrong and all the things. In fact, the Bible is written. He never says, like Nike, just do it. He never says that. He actually says, do it, but then he gives you a reason for why you do it if you read the scriptures. See, the word of God is built this way. Now, I love it when contemporary science or whatever corroborates a truth that God says. So, I say to you, giving equals joy. You say, sure, for us Christians. But what about those that aren't religious? Well, in fact, there's been all kinds of studies about how human beings react to giving. Utah State University, not a Christian place. This is what they said at the end of their study they did. The research suggests, get this, Thinking about money may propel individuals toward their financial resources, toward using their financial resources to benefit themselves. But spending money on others can provide a more effective route in increasing one's own happiness. Isn't that interesting? It increases one's own happiness. Here's what he said at the end of the report. In a nutshell, giving to charity makes us happier especially when we freely choose to give. That's why I want you to really pray over this commitment card. I want you to want to be part of this. I want you to be excited by this. Whether we have a little or a lot of money, this is an important part of the study, how we choose to spend it matters most to our happiness. If your aim in life is for you and others to be happy, which, by the way, is a great aim. The Bible is full of that kind of purpose. Evidence suggests learning and teaching others to be deliberate in giving of their time and means to charity will have the greatest impact in this noble pursuit. Isn't that fascinating? That's not a Bible verse. That's not a Christian. That's uh, a separate independent study. John Piper says this, it's more blessed to be a generous person, a giving person, than a getting person. It's more blessed to be a generous person or a giving person than a getting person. Now, all of us are a little bit schizophrenic. We go between these two, don't we? We go between these two, and to some degree, you have to have some ambition. You have to want to go and earn some money. You want to have some of that, but what we want to add to that is that in our getting, we are generous. We are generous people. And listen to this um, about the church in Macedonia. Now, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 
are uh, two passages, uh, two chapters in the Bible that are focused very clearly on giving. Uh, almost the entire emphasis is teaching us about giving. It's where you get that famous verse that almost everybody has heard, even culturally, that God loves a cheerful giver. He uses that in chapter 9, verse 4. But in 9, 6. But in this passage, 8 and 9, we get a fuller understanding. So let me just tell you, uh, this one verse, uh, these two verses that I say are like the hub of what I want to say to you today. It says in chapter 8, verse 3, For I testify that according to their ability... And beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily, begging us insistently for the privilege of participating in the service for the saints. What am I talking about? What's Paul talking about? Okay, here's what's going on. He's writing a letter to Corinth. So I'm writing a letter to City Light Church, but I'm writing about what another church has done. All the great churches in our area, all the great ways God's working. Let's assume just one of those was doing something great. And I'm writing a letter to you, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, let me tell you what they did. Now, the reason he told them about what Macedonia did was critical. Macedonian church was poor. I mean, really poor. If you remember the book of Acts, you remember the Macedonian call where uh, one of the few times that Paul has a vision while he's sleeping to go and reach the people from Macedonia. Paul did that. He went there. They were a young church. They had been an area that had been... Uh, uh, subjects of wars, uh, they had poverty. It was a very difficult place to be a Christian and to live. And yet, he says that these people begged him for the, for the chance to give. What a difference, huh? I can't say that I've been knocked over by people trying to get to the offering plate, you know? I mean, this is a different approach, a different thinking for me too. He begged them for the chance. They begged him for the privilege of participating. Now, who were they helping? Here's what I want you to get. They were helping a group of Christians back in Jerusalem. You say, okay, well, they probably knew some, and they knew that they needed it, and so they, uh, they gave to them and sent them. No, 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 no. Actually, if you try to go from Macedonia to Jerusalem now, it's a 52-hour drive. That's today. I think it was hard to get there. In other words, these Macedonians would never see the people they were going to give to. Never. They never would see them. They only would hear from Paul that those people were in need. Other brothers and sisters were in need. And so as a result, even in their poverty, they gave generously. Okay, let me tell you how Paul describes them. Look at verse uh, 2. He says in verse 2 that <clears throat> during an ordeal of severe distress, their abundant joy and their deep poverty. So wait, deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their, and get these two words, I wish you'd be describing, lavish generosity. Verse two, lavish generosity. Verse three, they gave beyond their ability and they gave voluntarily. This is mentioned all the time when God talks about your giving throughout scripture, voluntarily. Verse four, they begged for the privilege of giving. Verse 10, they had a desire to do it. Verse 11, they had eagerness in a desire to give. Eager to give. Eager with a desire to give. And then verse 12, they had an eagerness to give. Now, chapter 9, Paul then switches and he starts talking to the Corinthian church. I mean, he's been talking to them, but now he's talking to them about what they need to do in light of what the Macedonian church has done. He says, for I know your eagerness. I know your eagerness. Telling uh, to the people of Macedonia about it. I've, I've boasted to them about it. Uh, telling them uh, that... Uh, uh, Achaia has, has been prepared since last year, and your enthusiasm has inspired the majority of them to respond. In other words, he was telling one church about the other church's giving, and that was inspiring them to respond. 
He said to them that you need to match your in eagerness and enthusiasm. You need to have that. Uh, chapter 9, verse 6 is where he says God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful you need to be. And then verse, nine, uh, verse 13 says that we need to have generous participation in this gift because of this act of ministry. They will glorify God for your obedience to the gospel of Christ, which you confess, as well as for your generous participation in this gift. Generous participation. What a different approach to giving. Now, in order to illustrate this, I'm going to have a little fun with you, and I'm going to tell you some terms that we used back when I was a policeman. Now, uh, I was a D.C. policeman. I worked as an undercover officer for about 22 years, buying drugs. I bought everything. I bought uh, cocaine, marijuana, uh, ecstasy, um, PCP, uh, LSD, stolen cars, uh, stolen guns, uh, and I even bought a live stolen bird. Now, I bet you don't hear that every day, huh? Listen, there's a, no TV shows about the guy who bought a bird, right? So here's, here's, here's what happened. I was, uh, I was posing as a body shop owner. We had this body shop with hidden cameras in there and all. We would meet with different guys that had stolen property or drugs or guns. They'd come in there. We'd buy it from them. And then at the end of the case, we'd close the case and arrest them. Well, we heard about this one guy who his hustle, they would say, was that he would steal live animals for drug dealers. No kidding. This guy would go into Petco, and he would steal, like, iguanas. He would steal uh, those little uh, baby alligator things. He would steal uh, birds, big birds, little birds. And I, I met with this guy. And uh, generally, in my line of work, we didn't spend a lot of time buying live animals. That wasn't a common thing. So I had to meet this guy, and I was trying not to laugh the whole time I was talking to him. But he told me how he got these birds. And sure enough, two days later, he shows at the storefront, this place we had this body shop, with a live parakeet in his hat. This guy could go into the, the, the case, full store, voila, and steal that thing for anybody to even know what happened. Anyway, he brings me my parakeet. I buy this parakeet from him. And uh, the, the only thing, the most dangerous part of this job was that that bird, he wanted me to hold that darn bird. And I was scared to death of that bird. I didn't want anything to do with it. So he, he gave me, but that's why you have partners in police work. My partner uh, handled the bird. So anyway, I buy the bird from him. Now I got a problem. I buy the bird. I get back to the office. Now, in property division, we, when we buy something, we put it on the property division. It seems logical. Uh, that's fine for a gun. It's fine for stolen property or a car. What do you do with a live bird? I show up at the property guy, and he throws it in a bag, and we throw it in a bag. That won't work for trial, right? So we had to take this live bird and uh, return it to Petco. And let me tell you something. <clears throat> I have delivered great news. Uh, I have seen our teams do great things for, for the citizens and everything uh, with little response. But the day I showed up at that Petco with that bird, you would have thought I, they had just won the lottery. I mean, everybody in that Petco was jumping up and down, clapping, so happy to see this stupid bird back at their, back at their office. So I did a great thing in my career. I bought this. I saved this live bird from captivity. Okay, so listen, I bought everything. Now, when I uh, spent this time as an undercover police officer in Washington, I uh, learned different terms I had to learn, and I'm going to have some fun with you today and help you to increase your generosity. At the same time, I'm going to teach you four different phrases, four different words that will help you to understand this. Okay. Now, last week, I got the idea from it. I'm blaming Nate for this. If you guys remember, last week, he named his sermon, Mo Money. 
Now, there used to be a guy that would uh, 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 help you cheat on your taxes if you wanted, and his name was Mo Money Mo. Mo Money Mo, huh? You want his number after you can come see me. Okay, listen, but, but this more money thing, I got thinking. I said, well, wait a minute now. If he can talk like that, let me give you, let me give you something for me. So I named the sermon Straight Money, Straight Money. Straight money, and uh, I'm going to see if these four things, these four terms won't help you to be more generous in your giving, okay, and to get more joy ultimately from your life. Here we go. Number one, we're going to talk about straight money. Straight money. When I bought all those illegal things, there was a term in the city they used saying that when you came to buy stuff, you better come with straight money. Why? What does straight money mean? You mean it had to be straightened? No, no. What it had to be was, was the right amount, you couldn't come and make a buy and try to trick somebody. You had to come with what they asked for. Exactly. You had to come what, uh, what they wanted. And so we had to come with straight money. Straight money, it meant that I wasn't trying to hustle somebody, but that I would even say sometimes, sometimes, believe it or not, you'd be in a line of guys buying drugs, and I would say, I got straight money. And by me saying that, I'd get myself to the front of the line. Everybody loves straight money. Now, it's okay to be smart about your giving, brothers and sisters. But let's understand. Let's understand. When God gives you the opportunity, he is not a used car salesman, nor is he someone to negotiate. So bring straight money and enjoy every minute of it. How's that? First one? You with me? All right, straight money. That's the first thing we're going to do in our giving. We're going to do it with straight money because we don't want to negotiate and treat God as though he's uh, 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 some uh, guy selling something in a third world country at a, at, a, at, a, uh, at a market. Second one, come correct. Guys would say, you got to come correct. If you're going to come, you better come correct. Now, what do they mean by that? Well, that means don't come with disrespect or with an attitude. When you come, come with the right attitude. Come ready. Now, I've already showed you that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, these Macedonian Christians, they came correct to God. See, they didn't have an attitude like they're grumbling. When, uh, when a preacher gets ready to speak on money, I can tell you, most preachers get ulcers over that. They don't like to talk to congregations about money. They don't like to talk to people about money. They can talk to you about everything else. I mean, we're so darn invasive into your personal life. We tell you about how to raise your kids. We tell you about your sex life. We tell you about anger. We tell you, but God forbid we talk to you about our money. That's kind of silly, isn't it? In fact, this is a good subject. And I want to teach you how when you come to God with your money, how to come correct. I want you to see that very clear. These guys had the right attitude. What I don't want to see if you're going to give me something, is to have an attitude while you do. Amen? In other words, if you want to give me something, that's fine. But I'll be darned if you're going to give it to me while you're complaining the whole way giving it to me. It isn't much of a gift then. You and I can treat God's giving that way. We can treat the church and the preacher and the ministries that come to us that way. I believe that every time you hear uh, somebody asking you to do something good with your money, you ought to be praising the Lord because let me tell you something. <clears throat> if you were broke, if you were poverty stricken, if you were hungry, if you were in jail, you wouldn't be getting those letters. These are letters to the wealthy. I know you say you're not wealthy. Brothers and sisters, believe me, if you look at human history, you look at the rest of the world now, all of us, I don't care if you weren't for minimum wage, are very wealthy people. And we are the blessed ones who get the opportunity to come to God correct with our attitude and with the joy we have that we get to give to him. So these brothers and sisters, they begged, they insisted, 
they implored or pleaded. Let me show you how serious this was. The word that was used in the Greek language there in verse 3 is the same one that in Luke 5, 12, where the leper begged Jesus for his, salvation, for his healing. That's how serious. The same word begging Paul used in 2 Corinthians 5, 20 when he's begging sinners to be reconciled to God. That's a serious begging. And in the same way, these guys are begging God to give. This is the attitude I want God to give me. We want to come correct when we come to God. Now, the third term we use is uh, one that is very important in the drug world. It is uh, really something you're pretty familiar with. You just never heard it called this, the front. Front. What's a front? Well, what you really want to do as an undercover officer, you're trying to build the confidence of the drug dealer. You're trying to build the confidence of the arms dealer. You're trying to build the confidence of, of, the, of the robber. So much so that he'll really trust you as an undercover, and he will give you without money, he will give you a certain amount, and then you're supposed to come pay him back later. Now, you know this. Uh, you know this at work when uh, uh, somebody says they're going to run for lunch, and uh, you give them 10 bucks. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't front him the money or her the money if you thought they were going to not come back with your sandwich, would you? No, you have a decision. Are you going to front it or not? You have a, you have a decision. Now, for us in the drug game, what uh, the undercover was really getting to a different level if he could get the trust, the confidence of a seasoned criminal to let him front this. Now, here's the idea. Uh, I'll give you one, one example of this uh, and the stress that goes with fronting. Uh, one time, uh, many years ago, I was uh, trying to negotiate a drug deal, and it was a $2,000 thing. But uh, the guy needed the $2,000 up front, and then he would go get it, he would come back. Now I had to go through about 10 meetings, begging my bosses and everything to authorize this. I guaranteed where it was going to go, all that stuff. Well, I got the 2000 I met with a guy, I gave him the 2000 and he left. Well, he's supposed to be back in 15 minutes, and uh, um, I'm still waiting for him to come back with my $2,000. He still hasn't showed up, the bum. But listen, I fronted money to the wrong guy. I fronted money to the wrong guy. I put my confidence in the wrong guy. You know where I'm headed, right? You confront your money, you can trust the Lord Jesus to take your money, whatever he asks of you, and know that he's going to do just what he said he would do. A matter of fact, Paul, isn't it crazy that God even tells us what the benefit will be? He says in verse 6, he says, now remember this, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He's talking about giving. He who gives generously, that blessing may come to others, he's saying, that's how you're giving, will also reap generously and be blessed. Look, these guys in Macedonia, they had no annual report from what happened with their money in Jerusalem. There was uh, no photos proving. One time I was at church and I was telling the church about this. We had this medical clinic in uh, Iraq back during the Iraq war. And uh, we were asking the church to, um, you know, give to it to help us pay for this medical clinic. And uh, I'm not kidding, about three weeks later, I met with a guy from the church, and he said to me, where's the ROI on that medical clinic? Well, it may not be that easy to calculate. A matter of fact, if you get an annual report, you get all those things, sometimes you're missing the biggest things. Look, when I tell you about how great the work of City Light is, generally I'm going to talk about baptisms, which are wonderful. I'm going to talk about people who come to Christ. That's wonderful. I'm going to talk about how many people we've been able to touch. That's wonderful. But what about all the times you went home and 
didn't fight with your wife or didn't fight with your husband because of something you heard. What about the uh, number of you that are now in devotions every week that uh, uh, weren't in devotions before? How about the, uh, the, the breakthrough you've had with Christ during a worship song? You see what I mean? I can't put that in an annual report. But that's why we give our money to a church. The church is a gathering of other voluntary, willing, generous people who, who get to combine their money for this great cause. I want you to be like these Macedonians. I want you to know that you can trust the Lord with your money. Number four, last one. This is going to see it. Now I'm stretching it. I know you're having trouble crossing over two worlds, but I'm going to help you here. The last one, mark money. Mark money. What's mark money? Well, mark money is exactly that. If I went and bought drugs from you, I would uh, give you the money. You would give me the drugs. Now, I had a little trick, though, when I was an undercover policeman. And what we would do is we would pre-record the serial numbers on the bills so that when the arrest team would come in, they would arrest you, and the guy would say, I didn't sell any drugs. He said, well, how come you got our marked money in your pocket? Marked money. Make sense? Mark money. You had to prepare it, but we had to record it before. Now, any of you who know me well know that uh, I was not always good at the details. I'm still not too good at the details. Matter of fact, this mark money thing is quite simple. You have to write down the serial numbers or you have to Xerox the bills, but somehow you got to have a record of that. So one of my first buys, I, I was so impressed with myself. I made this buy. Uh, the whole team went in, locked them up, everything good. They recovered drugs and all that. And then they started checking the money. And then they called me and they said, hey, Dale, what are the serial numbers on the bills? I forgot to mark the money. I forgot to mark the money. I missed it altogether. So they couldn't do anything with the marked money. Listen, that marked money, when I would go out to buy the marked money, when I would go out to buy drugs, there was, there was money I had for me and marked money. Now, if while I'm out there in the middle of this undercover transaction, I want to buy a soda or I want to buy something to look cool while I'm standing there, maybe I'm in a market or whatever, that was cool. But I couldn't use the marked money from the police department to buy myself a soda. It had to be used for the intended uh, reason it was given to me. Does that make sense? Marked money had to go there where it was that I had told the police department and I had to give a full accounting of how I used that money. It was the government's money, not my money. And so once it was marked and ready to go, I needed to give it where God had it, where they had it for the designated purpose. You know where I'm headed. You and I, all I'm telling you here is Take the money God has given you that he has set aside in your heart. Maybe it's more than you think. Maybe it's a, a little bit of a stretch. Maybe it, it, it's, it's more than you can think. But I want you to see that as God's mark money. You don't want to use his money for anything other than his purpose. Isn't it a wonderful thing? Uh, if you can really take this in, if you can really begin to uh, think of money this way, get this. When you go to work, <clears throat> I worked as a policeman arresting guys. Uh, you work in an office. You work selling things. You work uh, as a plumber. You work as well, whatever your job is. Suddenly, 98% of Christians are activated in ministry. Why do I say 98%? Because 2% are in full-time ministry. Some small percentage of every church is to go overseas or do full-time ministry. But 98% of us are to stay right here and work really hard. You know what I really would like to preach a sermon on missions is don't go because I need you to stay here and earn money so those brothers who are going can pay for it. See, if we want to change the world, you got to pay for it. 
There's no way to change the world otherwise. And so you change the world every day when you get up and go to work. You change the world every time you get a promotion. You change the world when you work a few extra hours that you didn't want to work. Because God is giving you more and more that you can then uh, take that money and invest it in God's holy purpose. This is an opportunity. Good news to bring them, you and them in Macedonia, great joy. Mm. Listen, I want to bring everything I can. I want to do everything I can to help people in this church have more joy in their life. I want you to have more joy in your family. I want you to have more joy in every area of your life, in your relationships and everything. I want you to have that. So that's why I'm talking to you about joining us in this great opportunity. Next week, next Sunday, we're going to have a commitment card here. We're going to ask everybody here to be part of this. One of the biggest goals we have is really 100% participation. Why is that so important? Because whether you give $2, you commit $2, or you commit $200 million, I want to see, we want to see all of our church together express and experience the wonderful joy that God brings through those of us that will give and be part of this excitement. Look, just a few years we've been together, we've got sites uh, in four different places, City Light Centers have been set up. This is simply because of this ministry starting. Four different sites where we're helping street kids in Central African Republic. We're helping street kids get the gospel and education in India. We're helping uh, uh, prostitutes uh, get out of the life of prostitution in Tijuana, Mexico. And in, uh, and in uh, uh, um, uh, southern Mexico, we're helping uh, a church there and doing outreach there as well, where we've set City Light Church there with Areola. All four of these sites come because of generous people giving. Uh, um, the work that happens here on uh, Thanksgiving Day, we gave away 300 turkeys working with Fairfax uh, Falls Church High School. This is the kind of work, this is the kind of church that you want to be a part of or you wouldn't be here. Just remember that in order to do that, we got to go arm in arm and we got to go together stepping forward so that we can have new areas for our children so that we can uh, maybe even take some of the construction paper down and get this room uh, ready to really serve the Lord. We want to see all the things God wants to do here and throughout this ministry and it requires all of us coming together and getting to experience this joy together. It's very exciting to be a Christian. It's very exciting because only God can turn these things around and these thoughts we have and these concepts and give us the wonderful purpose that he has. Uh, let's, let's take a minute in prayer. Lord Jesus, uh, we come before you, and the most important thing for everyone in here is that more than they're giving their money, that they give themselves to you. That Lord Jesus, each one understands what it is to acknowledge they are a sinner, that they have sinned against you, that they have done wrong. And that they want to commit uh, their heart to you. I pray, Lord Jesus, for, for the ones here who need to initiate that commitment. For you have already done the giving. And we get to just respond. So today, I pray for this commitment. Uh, for many of you here who have not made that commitment, you need to commit to Christ Jesus today. And then for those of you who have been coming here a while, and as you uh, uh, contemplate how God is working here you want to make a commitment to the Lord about your giving. Uh, wherever. Uh, you want to take that marked money and put it right where God wants you to. And so, wherever you're at, spiritually, or he's working on you in this area, just take a minute and pray and talk to the Lord Jesus about this, will you?
Lord Jesus, it is such a joy to serve you. That when we see victory in our witnessing, we get joy. When we see our time of devotions and a passage there that encourages us, we get joy. Even in our worst of times, you can bring us joy, even in the midst of trouble. This is remarkable. And Lord, now as we talk about giving, may we see this as another avenue, another road that you have given us to step closer to joy. Joy in your name, in your work. And as preparation for the joy we're going to experience all together in eternity forever. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we pray that you will be lifted up as we worship together now. In your name we pray. Amen. Will you guys stand with us and sing? Thank you.